The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. of Jesus Christ to those who are ex- elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the knowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory in honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Father, we're continually surprised by your goodness and your kindness to us. Father, for giving us a gift so undeserved, Lord, but yet you so freely did it. It, it, Your love is astounding to us, Lord. We're in awe. We stand in awe. And we're thankful, Lord, for this great gift that we celebrate every every day, Father. Not just in these seasons, but every day. We thank you, Lord, for your salvation in our lives, for what that means for our families, for our communities. Lord, we're, we are burdened by the weight of our sin. Father, the, thing, the sin that so easily besets us. We're not capable, Lord, of, of fulfilling these things, these, these great commands you've given to us. But in Christ Jesus, Father, you've made all these things possible. With men, these things are impossible. With, with God, all things are possible. So, Lord, we thank you for your church, the, the gathering of your saints, of believers, Lord, that you would do your work in our lives, that through our lives, Father, that the world would be reached with your gospel. We thank you for your word being uh, presented to us today. We lift up our brother Frank. Thank you for his return, Father. Thank you for the, the goodness you've shown in his life these past few months. Thank you for bringing it back to us. Father, we lift him up to you for the, the preaching of your word, Father, that it would go forth with power and it would speak to our hearts, Lord not just to our our intellects and our minds, but speak to us 
in truth and in power, Father. Because this is how you've, you've ordained things. This is how your love is, is commended, Father. How the, the blood of Christ is sprinkled on the altar of our hearts. Lord, thank you for this day. Father, bless all those around the world who are sharing your gospel, who are living your gospel. That your glory would be seen in the earth. You're the only true and faithful God. There's no other God like you. And we give you all the praise and glory, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Mr. Nolan was in his early 90s, I believe. This event happened back in back in the mid-90s. For you smart, Alex, the 1990s. And his wife had gotten sick recently, and she was um, in a wheelchair. Uh, They'd been married over 70 years. I went over to see him one day. And he was awkwardly fixing her lunch in the kitchen, as if he'd never, ever set foot in the kitchen in his life which I doubt he had very much as far as being the cook. So he fixed her lunch. He set it uh, in front of her, and we went out on the porch to talk. And sometime during that conversation, I, I told him, I said, I'm sorry you're having to go through this. He looked at me, and he said, you know, I've told her for 72 years... I told her for 72 years that I loved her. Now I get to show her. I suspect during those 72 years he showed her too, but that's what it meant to him at that time. For the last two weeks we've been hearing that's what James is about. That's what the book of James is about. Practicing what we say we believe. What God is doing in and through our lives through this doctrine of sanctification. Alistair Begg says it's, <clears throat> it's, it, 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 it's, it's not about going to the gym and pointing out the machines. Okay, here's the cardio machine. This, one, this machine works on your upper body. This machine works on your lower body, your legs, and then you just walk out. It's not about that. It's about getting on the machines and doing the work. And then it's about when, when the work is over, you get a tape measure and you, ta- and you measure those parts of your body that you're supposed to measure after you leave the gym. That's what it's about. It's for people to be able to say that there's a definite difference in you because you're a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. And if and when the book of James sinks into the hearts of the members of Grace on the Ashley, then we will have a very different Charleston, a very different community. We'll look at uh, verses, uh, the first chapter, verses 2 through 4 this morning. And notice that he just goes one verse. He said, James, servant of God. Of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. That's it. 
That's not like an introduction Peter or Paul um, would make. Uh, John just read one of Peter's. Um, <clears throat> he doesn't offer thanksgiving for those people. He doesn't offer a prayer for those people. Uh, in fact, there's nowhere to suggest that he had any personal relationship with these people that he's writing to. So without any fanfare, he drop, jumps into trials and patience, and wisdom, and I got stuck with these verses. Praise the Lord. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just on the front end, a little disclaimer here. I preach what I believe to be as absolute truth. It doesn't mean that I excel at living it out. Maybe this passage particularly. In practice, I, don't, I may not live it out any better than you do. So don't get the notion that the guy up here who's done all the studying and all the preparation is immune from the experiences that you have. God's still working on me, too. Plus, I have the added responsibility. A couple of chapters later, James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Well, that's great. It's also frightening. I do like the Phillips translation. Any of you ever read J.B. Phillips, um, not translation, paraphrase? It's a great paraphrase, and um, the, the paraphrase of the first verse. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. So, if you're here today, and if you're listening to me, you are. And you're going through a trial, and you know the Lord Jesus is your Savior, and you want to know how to respond to this trial in the right way, well, you're in the right place today. Secondly, if you're one of those believers here today and you don't think you're going through a trial, that's wrong. You are. Just thought I'd let you know we're all going through some sort of trial, all of us. How does God want you to respond? And just two points, the genuineness of your faith and the growth of your faith. So two points, we ought to be able to whip through this pretty fast. First verse, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I think it might be good to do some preliminary before we actually get... Um, into the verse, the meat of the verse. But there are similarities in this word, trials. Um, in fact, it's the same word in uh, verse 12. He goes, blesses the man who remains steadfast under trial. He approaches the situation a little bit differently. So we'll, when we get to that, we'll talk about it. Verse 13, and let no one say he's being tempted. That's actually the same word. I'm being tempted by God. It's a different form of it, but the same God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. 
It's the same word as such, and it's uh, something we need to consider. And Pastor Greg is the Greek scholar, so when he gets to those verses, he'll explain everything to you. But you think, but you see that, and and um, he himself tempts no one at the end of thirteen. And then you might think that, oh yeah, but didn't Jesus pray to God, lead us not into temptation? What's that all about? Well, Pastor Greg will explain that to you. I sure hope he does. And then he says, when you meet trials of various kinds. Uh, The New American Standard says encounter. King James says fall when you fall into trials of various kinds. Uh, NIV says when you face trials. Uh, ESV here says when you meet trials. Hello, trial. I'm pleased to meet you. And the trial hits you head on. The point is that these particular trials, you meet these trials. These are not trials that you created your own. Uh, on your own. We'll talk about that later. These are trials that, 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 that fall uh, uh, before your face, so to speak. You run into them. They jump up and they catch you off guard. I like the picture in the Amplified Version as well. Whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations... Pictures that you're surrounded by trials. It's a daily occurrence. And so what does he mean by trials? Maybe it would be better to, to show some false teaching regarding trials because we want a biblical view of trials. Some say Christians shouldn't experience trials. Have you ever heard that before? Uh, well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Some people say trials are God's judgment on our sin. Have you heard that before? Your trials you're going through is God's judgment. Only problem with that, that does away with another doctrine that Jesus paid the price. Jesus, Jesus faced the judgment for my sin on the cross. And I don't have to anymore. Some say it's a belief problem. I know you've heard that. You just don't. You need more faith. You get through this trial. You need more faith. Some of you have been in churches. That that's a central doctrine of the church uh, that you've been in. But the problem with that is, what about? Well, how do you deal with Job, a man of faith, what he went through? Some trials we just bring on ourselves. Some are trials that the sovereign God brings on us. And Peter makes that distinction in 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And so in many ways, in that verse and other places, we see that the, the law of sowing and reaping comes into play. Um, our, our, our choices lead to consequences. Sowing and reaping, our choices lead to consequences. If we make good choices, we can face good consequences. If we make evil choices, we expect evil consequences. That's a general rule. It's not always the right rule because you know as a Christian, you make the right choice sometimes and you pay a price for it, right? You abuse your bodies, your health deteriorates. 
eat all that turkey and dressing and mac and cheese and all that stuff, your body deteriorates. We abuse those around us, your relationships deteriorate. Fail to feed and nurture yourself spiritually, your walk with the Lord goes downhill. And we know all those things are true. But many of us, when we face the consequences of our sin, of the bad choices that we make, we have a, we have a tendency to, to ignore that sowing and reaping aspect. And then we cry out, God, why is this happening to me? You know, I remember seeing the smoker who smoked their entire lives sitting on the side of their hospital bed dying of lung cancer. Why is God doing this to me? Well, you smoked your whole life. But in this situation, God is only letting us experience the consequences of the things that we have chosen. James is talking about a different type of trial. Trials that come from God's hands. So let's look at those. Look at what he's talking about. Trials that come from the hand of God that have nothing to do with consequences of our own sinful choices. Nothing is clearer in Scripture than the truth that God sends trials. God, through His sovereign will, sends difficulties into the lives of His children because God has a certain purpose behind that trial to make you into something. And that's what James is talking about. God is sovereignly in control of the events of our lives and produces them in our lives so that we might become something. I'll never forget. It was 1982. I'm sitting in my Toyota Corolla at a traffic light, and I hear Charles Swindoll over the radio say, Nothing happens to me that doesn't first pass through the hands of God. You've heard me say that before. That's what James is talking about. We have testimony to it. The the psalmist in Psalm 119.67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. That's pretty much to the point. And in this context, James is saying that God's purpose of sending trials is so that people might demonstrate a growing faith in him important that uh, uh, those of you who are um, unbelievers and the unbelievers out there who are watching us, those who are believers experience trials, they'll see the level of our faith by our reaction to those trials. When a church goes through a difficult time, out there is watching to see how we react. When you're going through a trial at home, your neighbors are watching to see how you react. What is the level of that faith? So as John read earlier, about God's purpose in sending trials is ultimately always bringing glory to himself. 1 Peter 1.7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in this life, we're not always able to see. We're not always able to see how our suffering can 
possibly bring honor to God, but it isn't necessary for us to see in order for it to be true. So James says, my brothers, count it all joy, my brothers means fellow believers. Every human has trials, believer and unbeliever alike. The trials are part of the human condition. Job tells us that. Job 5 or 7, man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. Sparks always fly upward. Man's always born to trouble. And just an FYI, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ here today, you won't have fewer trials when you come to the Lord. When your day of salvation comes, you won't have fewer trials. You'll have more. In other words, not only if you have been born will you face many trials, If you've been born again, you'll face many more. Why would he start it out talking about this? He's not talking about persecution. He's he's talking about various kinds of trials believers face. So God tells us to expect trials. It's not if, when you meet them. You see that? Count it all joy if you meet trials. Uh Uh-uh. Count it all joy when. You meet trials. Jesus warned his disciples, John sixteen thirty three, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul tells new converts, new believers in Acts fourteen, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Peter emphasizes it later in that first letter that John read earlier, 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Satan fights us, the world opposes us, and this makes life a battle. And there are various kinds. At least you don't get the same trial over and over. Life doesn't get boring. There are various, various trials. Accidents, disappointments, physical trials, financial, job-related, relationship trials, community, friends, family, death in a family, difficult children, marriage, good or bad. The good marriages have trials. Church family. Success, winning the lottery, all kinds of trials, long, long lists, tragedies, disappointments. Peter says in verse 6 of that chapter 1, In this you rejoice. So now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. That word various means variegated or very, very colored. 
If I didn't know Frank Stennett, I wouldn't even know what variegated means. Plants with more than one color. Various trials. He said, amongst all those trials, you could know, you're, going, you, you're going through one or two or three or four right now. You, they've come, but while I've been talking, you've been thinking about the trial you're going through. They're not all alike. God arranges them and mixes the colors and the experiences of life. Final product being bringing a, a beautiful life, bringing glory to Him. And then He says, Count all of that joy. He could have gone all day without saying that, right? What's the Christian's response to all that? Count it all joy. And it's, a, and it's an imperative. It's a command. James is full of commands. Someone said there's 56 commands in this letter. It's not a, that means it's not a suggestion. When God commands us to do something and we don't do it, that's disobedience. And disobedience is sin, so it's a command. Count it all joy. You don't count it all joy. There's sin in your life. I think it might be one of the most difficult commands in Scripture. The more I think about it. It's right up there with, in everything, give thanks. Right? It's not a natural reaction. It's not a natural reaction that we list through all the trials that we're going through or have been through or all the potential trials coming our way. It's just not natural. So the only answer must be that the response is supernatural. That's why it's for believers. And yet we know that God's not trying to frustrate us or defeat us to conform us to the image of His Son. But God will spare no circumstance. God will spare no adversity, no affliction, no sickness, no success, no failure in achieving His end in your life. You understand that? He will spare no circumstance, no adversity, no affliction, no sickness, no success, no failure in achieving His end. He will achieve His end in your life. Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Peter says in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And God never calls you to do his will in any area that He does not also supply the grace and the power necessary to fulfill that task. Which is ultimately why we can count it all joy, because God will supply during that trial. We saw that in the apostles' lives in Acts 5. They just become before the council. They've been beaten. After being beaten in Acts 5.41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. 
We saw that in the life of Paul, Romans 5, 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. We saw that in the lives of, uh, of fellow believers in what John read from 1 Peter chapter 1. Count it all joy. Here's one other thing to consider about this first verse. When we encounter trials, when we face the trials of life, we must evaluate them in light of what God is actually doing in our lives. And this explains why the believer can have joy in the trial, in the middle of the trial. Because the believer lives for what matters the most. Even our Lord was able to endure the cross because of what the Hebrews, writer of Hebrews says, the joy that was set before him. The joy of returning to heaven, one day sharing his glory with his church. What we value the most as believers determines how we view these things. What we value the most determines how we face the trials of life. Now, if you're like me, and I suspect many of you are, sadly, we tend to want to escape trouble. We tend to want to escape the trials because they hurt. We don't want to go through the trials, but it makes us who we are. We can't avoid the conflict. Listen, I know about this stuff. I'm an expert. And for those of you who, like me, work very hard to anticipate the potential trials and, 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 and miss out on the conflicts that create the trials, we need to remind ourselves of some things. If we prize comfort more than spiritual growth, you won't be able to count it all, Joel. If you prize your comfort more than your spiritual growth, you won't be able to count it all joy. If you value the material over the spiritual, you can't do this. I have a good example in John chapter 6. Jesus sees this crowd of 5,000 plus people and they're, they're hungry and he doesn't want to send them home and, and he goes to... to Philip, and, and he, 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 he says, Philip, we need to feed these people. And Philip said, well, we don't have enough money. So then he goes to Peter. Peter, we need to feed these people. And Peter's, Peter's like, uh, duh, well, we've got this boy's lunch. Focusing on the material instead of the spiritual, you will not ever be able to count it all joy. When your trial of testing comes, will you look to the things of the world or will you look to God? You can only count it all joy as you see God's purpose in the trial, what He's accomplishing in you. If you don't count it all joy, what's the alternative? What's the alternative if you don't count that trial as all joy in your life because of it, not just happy, happy, happy joy, but joy because of what God is accomplishing 
in and through your life. If you don't do that, what is the alternative? It's bitterness. It's anger. It's fear. And many other things that will do nothing but bring you down. Quite possibly even destroy you. John MacArthur says, When we face trials with the attitude that James admonishes, we discover that the greatest part of the joy is drawing closer to the Lord, the source of all joy, by becoming more sensitive to His presence, His goodness, His love, and His grace. Our prayer life increases, as does our interest in in the study of the Word. Each of those ways, our joy increases all the more. I love that. The greatest part of the joy is drawing closer to the Lord. So what's your trial? I've had about 30 minutes to think about it. It can prove a wonderful work of God in us. Spurgeon said, I have looked back to times of trial with a kind of longing not to have them return feel the strength of God as I have felt, in, felt it then. To feel the power of faith as I have felt it then. To hang upon God's powerful arm as I hung upon it then. And to see God at work as I saw Him then. Trials are in the hands of a sovereign God. It's where the joy comes from. Knowing full well that there's a divine purpose in it. We, we used to sing the hymn day by day. And with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. Pastor Greg, the last two weeks, as I mentioned, has been driving home that point that James is about the, is about the fruit of our faith. That's what he talks about next, the growth, the growth of our faith, verses 3 and 4. We can rejoice because trials help our faith grow. Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Um, the New American Standard uses the word endurance instead of steadfastness. Um, NIV uses uh, perseverance. The King James uses patience. ESV, as we see, uses steadfastness. A more literal translation, we see it in Second Corinthians 1.6. The very same word. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure. That's really the best um, translation of that particular word that, that um, the ESV Translators are using steadfastness for. In other words, it, it works better in English as two words. Patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. And, it, and so it doesn't, it doesn't describe for us a passive waiting. It's an active endurance in our life. It isn't so much a quality that help, like, like you're sitting quietly in the doctor's office patiently Waiting for your turn? No. It's the quality of endurance that finishes the marathon. That's what he's talking about here. It has the picture of somebody who's under a heavy load and 
choosing to stay there instead of trying to escape. And notice that he says to these believers, he said, you know this already. He's not teaching them something. He said, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know this already. Or at least he's assuming they know. The right knowledge concerning the value of trials in our lives makes it possible for us to have that joyful attitude. And what do we know? We understand that that, that, that the trials test our faith. We know that faith tested can bring out the best in us. We know that faith tested creates a better witness in us. We've used the illustration before. Faith is like a muscle. If you don't use that muscle, it atrophies. You must exercise. The only way for your faith to be exercised is through trials and troubles and temptations. Resistance. The only way for your faith to grow is for there to be resistance against it. The strongest guy in the gym. That guy that walks out of the gym, his arms are bigger than your legs. That's because he got more resist. Well, barring steroids. That means he got more resistance than you do. The resistance from trials that grows our faith, putting it to the test. And in shunning them, it's what I love to do. In shunning those trials and shunning that, that, that conflict, we miss out on the growth of our faith. The last thing you need is a comfortable life with no trials and a weak, useless faith. It's the last thing you need. Oh, you may be comfortable, but your faith is useless. If not stretched, exercised, and comes up against resistance, there will be no strength in your faith. I just took a long walk. Did anybody hear about that? And in preparing and reading uh, about that walk I took, everybody said the first day is the hardest day, and they were right. Because you start in France and you walk over the Pyrenees Mountains into Spain the very first day. Thirty days later, my thought was, I bet if I went back, that wouldn't be so hard. After walking for 30 days, after much testing, I had more endurance. Pyrenees Mountain, piece of cake. After that, it's true with our faith. Paul says to the Corinthians, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now go on. So he says, So we fix our eyes. Not on what is seen, we fix our eyes on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. The Greek word for that steadfastness is hupomone, hupa under, meno, to to stay or abide, to, to remain under. It means to remain under. There's a progression here. 
as you remain under the trial and your faith grows with that resistance. The testing of your faith produces patience and perseverance and endurance and steadfastness. And then the progression continues on. Faith is tested through trials. Now, your faith won't be produced by trials. That's already come. Faith is tested by trials. Trials reveal what faith we have. Not because God doesn't know already what faith we have, but so that our faith will be more evident to ourselves, more evident to those around us. Spurgeon said, Faith is as vital to salvation as the heart is vital to the body. Hence, the javelins of the enemy are mainly aimed at this essential grace, faith. And James wanted you to know, he didn't want you to think that God's going to send trials to break you down or destroy your faith. And so he comes back to that in verses 12, 13, and 14, like I shared with you earlier. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. And I mentioned already that patience is not always produced in times of trial. It's inevitable that God is going to accomplish His perfect work in the believer. But it's not inevitable that immediately you're going to produce patience in your life. Because if difficulties are received with unbelief, if difficulties are received with grumbling, if difficulties are received with, with, with bitterness... They'll just produce discouragement in your life and not growing faith. That's why we count it all joy. That's faith's response to the trial. And so, no. He says, no. For you know, this is what you know. Faith is always tested. Testing works in us, not against us. Paul said that, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Trials rightly seen help us mature. And the only way you can develop patience and character in your life is through trials. You can't obtain steadfast endurance by reading a book. You can't attain it by Listening to a sermon. You can't attain it by praying a prayer. You attain it by going through the difficulties, by going through the trials, by trusting God, by obeying Him to count it all joy. The result will be patience and character. Takes us to verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, patient endurance in and of itself accomplishes nothing. In and of itself, there's little benefit in patient endurance. Maybe it keeps you from being bitter or angry or disappointed. 
But it has to have what? It's full effect. He said, let steadfastness, patient endurance, have its full effect. Someone says, some translate it, perfect result. So when you face trials, count it all joy, because trials will produce endurance, and endurance, well, needs its full effect, which means it must finish its work in you. Someone said that the guy who trains for the Olympic marathon is not just training for endurance. He's training to win. He's training for the gold medal. That's the full effect. He's training for it all. He wants his steadfastness. He wants his endurance to produce a result that's visible. And in the Christian life, that ability to remain faithful to God in the middle of all the challenges you face, that endurance that comes with those trials that we face, it has a purpose. What's the purpose? That you be mature, perfect, and complete. Some translate that mature and complete. Perfect can be confusing for us. But it's true, becoming more and more like Christ to ultimate perfection when we go to be with Him. Patience leads to character. You know that patience leads to character. That patient endurance leads to growth in your character. When you find someone with strong Christian character, you know they've been through a lot. They haven't had a comfortable life. They haven't had it so easy. And then he says, lacking in nothing. That speaks for itself. God builds character before he calls us to service. He must work in us before he works through us. We lack in nothing as we serve him. So what's your trial? Your reaction to this trial you're going through right now reveals your level of maturity. It's God's way of seeking to mature you. And you're commanded to greet it with joy. That's a tall order. Letting patience, patient endurance have its perfect way in you it's perfect work in you that's not easy it's rather challenging and it requires wisdom wisdom which is enables us to see the value of those trials that come our way and fortunately for you wisdom is next week Two closing quotes. Thomas Watson, one of my favorite dead guys, said, Christ died to take away the curse from us, yet not to take away the cross from us. Spurgeon asked this question. How can I look to be at home in the enemy's country, joyful while in exile, or comfortable in a wilderness? This is not my rest. This is the place of the furnace and the forge and the hammer.
And then he adds, there are no crown bearers in heaven that weren't cross bearers here below. All of you have gone through a trial. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the word of the Lord. How great is our God, O Father. We rejoice at your greatness, at the truth of your word. That we have a word to proclaim and that it's never wasted when we proclaim it. And we pray, Lord, that you would forgive the sins of the speaker this morning, for they are many. And that, Lord, you would, despite that, take the truth of your word and implant it in our hearts. And move us from where we are right now to where you want us to be. For your glory and your glory alone. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see those trials in our lives in such a way. In such a way that they might produce something godly in us. That we might be convicted of our bitterness, our anger toward those trials. Continue to do your perfecting work in us, Lord, and make us and mold us and shape us into what you want us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.